Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Mom Brain. I'm Daphne. And I'm Ilaria. And today we're delving into the science of sleep with Dr. Sophia Axelrod. She is a neuroscientist, sleep researcher, and mom of two kids who actually sleep through the night. Woohoo! <laughs> I know, right? Um, I, want to, uh, I want to go and learn everything from this woman. Well, we're going to. That's our entire conversation today is from a scientist standpoint, how to encourage our children to sleep as well as they possibly can. I, it's so interesting. Sleep training is one of the most requested topics we get from you guys. Tons of emails about it, tons of messages. And there are moms, Laria and myself included, who desperately crave more sleep for our children so that we get more sleep for ourselves. Um, and Dr. Axelrod has kind of distilled literally a hundred years of sleep research into three simple steps that she's going to share with us today. What's even better is her new book is science-backed and is inspired by the latest Nobel Prize-winning research. All right, you guys, here's our conversation with Dr. Sophia Axelrod. Mom Sophia Axelrod and I have two kids and I'm also a sleep scientist and so when my first baby was born I thought what can I do as a sleep scientist to help her sleep through the night and I had a few tricks up my sleeve and she slept really well and my son slept really well and then I wrote a book about it and I made an app and where can we find you where can we follow you you can find me on Instagram at Land. And also at sophiaaxelrod.com and at coolalaland.com. We're so excited to chat with you. To chat and, and learn. Tons of learning. I'm really excited <laughs> about this. I want to hear a little bit about your speciality and, and your background. But I also, I think that um, whether or not your children are currently sleeping well, there definitely are like sleep hygiene things you can do for kids that help either create good habits and establish them or prolong them or like rec um, rectify ones that have slipped back because I have a child who used to sleep great and now we've moved like a few times so and, and now does not sleep well at all. And it's about, I'm just, there's so many things that could contribute to children not sleeping well. So I want to make sure like I can tick off the list that oh, I'm not yeah. doing any of these things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. De details matter. A lot. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about your, about your background, your okay. philosophy. Yeah. So, um, I'm a biologist by training, and um, I have a PhD in um, you know neuroscience, and I now work at Rockefeller University here in Manhattan um, with someone who won the Nobel Prize for discovering circadian rhythms. Circadian rhythms wow. is is kind of our inner body clock that helps us understand when is daytime, when is nighttime, when should we be we be sleeping, when should we be awake, but also a lot of other things that we don't normally think about. Bowel movements, alertness, mood, all these things are happening on a circadian curve. And my mentor discovered the genes in our body that regulate that. And so when I was pregnant with my first baby, just like you, pretty much seven months, yeah. And um, I was handling my, we actually work with mice, but we also also work with fruit flies because 
you know, evolution. Uh, and you might as well study fruit flies when you want to understand something about humans, ultimately. That's, that's what we believe as scientists. And um, I was handling my fruit flies in the dark because we didn't want to wake them up because we studied their sleep. And we used these red flashlights to not wake them up because we know from circadian biology that every light except red light wakes us up, wakes the fruit flies up, wakes everybody up. And that's What's special about red light? We think that's because at sunset and in the evening, the proportion of blue light diminishes. And so we have adapted to the signal that, you know, red light means sleep um, in the Mm. sense that blue light activates special receptors in our eyes. And that tells our body, whoop, it's time to get up. It's time to be awake. Sleep hormone down, alertless alertless hormones up. And there's just nothing you can do about that. But if you use red light, you're safe. So I was standing there with my red flashlight and I thought, um, what could I do to help my kids sleep? Because I'm a lifelong insomniac and, you know, uh, a light bulb, pardon my pun, went up in my head. And I thought I need an add a red light. I need red light bulbs to help my baby sleep. So I bought a bunch of red light bulbs, installed them in the nursery. You know, I was in a full on nesting phase, uh, making everything perfect. And when she was born... It just worked. And it works because it's our biology. And it's just really powerful. And this red light and the stark contrast between day and night really entrains, we call it entrainment, entrains their body clock to these differences. And um, there's other things, but this was kind of the most unusual thing because people sometimes think blue light is soothing. No, blue light is very activating. And blue lights happens to be what what's from our phones, right? Like our phones, our computers, all uh-huh. of that is blue light. So oh, if you're yeah. lying in bed, you know, watching Netflix or whatever, it's probably oh, not yeah. setting up to sleep. Um, that's I mean, that's such a simple, like easy sort of change to make. But I mean, it, it's, it's such oh, an yeah. obvious like scientific basis for it, which is so cool. What obviously, I think, I mean, for whatever reason, we end up talking about sleep training sleep issues, sleep, sleep, sleep all the time on this show, because I think a lot of U.S. kids, I'm assuming most of our listeners are in the U.S., do not sleep. I know you did your training in Germany. Maybe it's the same case, like the world over. Children are not sleeping as well as their parents would like. And I'm curious why you think that is happening. And if there's some like generic things without going into too specific of our own children just yet, generic things that parents are doing that are setting their kids up to not sleep well. I don't think people used to talk so much about it and people, I mean, there's multiple things, right? I think we're just expect to sucking it up as moms. And that's, I think the main reason for me, why I'm like, I felt so angry and I just wanted to do something like I didn't want to suck it up. I already don't sleep well. And, you know, sleep deprivation causes all kinds of health problems, including postpartum depression. And nobody's talking about that connection. It's like, oh, yeah, baby blues and this like weird thing, postpartum depression. Yeah, it's because you're not sleeping. Right. And we're just supposed to like weather the storm and like, you know, the pediatrician tells you it will get better or like whatever other moms tell you, it'll get better. Yeah, well, you're suffering. You're suffering potentially for a long time. Right. Your kids are, you know, not even babies anymore. And you're still it's still a struggle. And so now I think moms are more empowered to kind of talk about it and, uh, you know, maybe not just accept this, their fate, you know, and that's one reason, you know, we're we're hearing more about kids not sleeping. The other thing is, I think that in a good way, we're really trying to focus on what is good for you, for Mm -hmm. our kids. Right. And, and it's so important to us now. Uh, as a generation, that our children get the optimal child development, everything we could imagine to make them happy, healthy, 
um, people. And that's very important, but there is a clash with certain things that we need to do to help them sleep through the night. And, you know, that's where these really contentious things come in, like co-sleeping, um, you know, like imposing any kind of schedule on children. A lot of people completely don't want that. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of people's emotions run really high anyway about parenting. And then when you become a mom, your whole brain is, you know, in an altered state. And so <laughs> it's the cheapest it's, drug. You yeah. Can buy. Just get, have a try. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's just like this hormonal cocktail and you're, you're, you know, you're completely wired to protect this, this life that you just created. And you don't want to hear about sleep training. You don't want to hear about anything that could potentially, um, you know, jeopardize that. And that's, 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 that's good, but you know, it, it, it will be hard for you to, to, to implement some of the things we know from science that help. Okay. So, so talk to us other than the red light, what are, what are certain things like we, we have a baby all right this baby that I have from the beginning because it's always easier right from the beginning so the baby comes home from the hospital yep. and then what do we do other than having red lights so the red light and the blackout shades will help them learn automatically without you doing anything what's day and night and it's important actually to really stick to the times uh very strictly because our circadian clock gets not just entrained by light, but also by light at a very specific time. So, you know, nobody wants to hear that, but varying bed, bed and, and wake times is not good. It's not good for us. It's, it's even worse for, for the baby because the baby doesn't have a rhythm yet. And it's our job to kind of tell them with what we're doing and with the light that this is daytime, this is nighttime. So try to create a really stark contrast between day and night. That's number one. Then, you know, in a newborn, you obviously can't, can't impose a schedule and shouldn't. Uh, they, you know, we're, we're taught to feed on demand if we're nursing uh, or bottle feeding, same thing. But some moms, um, they fall into this trap where you turn into a human pacifier mm -hmm. if you're nursing and you're just like constantly nursing and baby is constantly snacking and then nobody ever sleeps. And that's not good either. And um, what has been shown to be better is, you know, babies, baby eats and then uh, sleeps for two hours and then you can feed again. So having these two hour periods, you know, that seems like not a lot or a lot, depending on what you're used to. But that gives you a little bit of time also to have a nap. You know, if you're constantly nursing, you just go crazy. So that's the second thing. And then when they're about a month, six weeks, that's when you can start seeing, oh, okay, you know, that's when nighttime sleep starts getting a little bit consolidated. Daytime naps are more, you know, different from nighttime sleep. And then around two, two months, I would say, and I don't know, like where you are on that spectrum, but, you know, if that's possible, around two months, I would evict them from, from your bedroom. I would put them in their own nursery. and. The reason is that research shows that at night, when you delay responding to babies crying just a little bit, I'm not talking about like let it cry out or anything like that, just a minute and a half teaches them self-soothing. It teaches them that, oh, I'm crying. Ah, help, help, help. Oh, actually, it's not the end of the world. Maybe I can fall asleep by myself. And this is a really, you know, powerful thing. And just like introducing this little distance makes it easier to have that little delay in responding to them. So that's 
that's another thing I would do around around two months is when most parents feel okay with not having the baby right right next to them. Some are ready earlier, many are not ready. But, you know, that's what works for many people. And then I would really start watching those naps. And that's something that is maybe the biggest um, confusion in the parenting community uh, where people think you need to sleep a lot during the day to be able to sleep at night. But that doesn't really make sense. Like if I put you down for a three-hour nap or you, you're not going to be as tired at night. I mean, okay, maybe right now you will be because you're sleep deprived. But uh, in general, you know, daytime sleep will affect nighttime sleep. And the reason is that we have a, a, a total sleep need that is 24 in 24 hours. And that is daytime sleep plus nighttime sleep. And you can literally just do the math. You know, if you need eight hours of sleep and you sleep three of those during the day, you only want to sleep five hours at night. And the same is true for babies. The confusing thing is that, of course, they need a lot more sleep. And it's not obvious how much they need at a certain age. Um, and that's where I did all the research. You know, I looked exactly at how much babies sleep at every age to tell you, you know, if your baby is whatever. One year, uh, they shouldn't sleep more than like two hours during the day to sleep 10 hours at night. And if your baby naps four hours during the day, they're not going to be able to sleep for for 10 hours at night. And actually, that's a sign. You know, if, if your baby or your child shows you that they don't want to sleep, they start resisting naps. Uh, that just means that their sleep pressure has been has been naturally has naturally gone down. They don't need as much sleep, and you shouldn't fight it in order to get that nighttime sleep back, in order to get that bedtime back. So for for the one who sleeps between one and two hours, I would say, well, then just like stick to maybe an hour and a half, and eventually to one hour soon, and don't and just wake them up, and that will help yeah. because then they will be more tired at night. It's it's very simple, and research shows that. Um, and then, it, and then at night, it's the same thing, you know, for some reason, people think that putting, uh, babies down at 7 PM and expecting them to sleep for 12 hours. I mean, that works in a certain phase of their life, but you know, it, it, in certain, at other ages, it doesn't. And one has to understand that, you know, babies only have a certain amount of total sleep. And if they already nap two hours during the day, maybe only 10 hours are left. And that means pushing the bedtime a little mm -hmm. later if you don't want to get up at 5.30, uh, that should help as well. So for those ages, I would recommend just forget about even trying to put them down at 7 p.m. Like just stick with the 9 p.m. bedtime. You're going to eliminate all the struggles because they will be tired right. enough and just, you know, pass out pretty quickly. Well, but what do you think about in terms of creating a routine? So the one thing that I hear a lot of moms on here talk about and definitely I struggle with as well is like, what is that routine? Is it? You know, I when we're gonna bath time, brush teeth, pajamas. We're gonna play a little bit, read a story, and then you guys are going to go to bed. Or is it I sit with you and I hold your hands for the whole time, or I'm hugging you while you go to bed? Or is it something something else? Daphne, you talked about having them listen to stories sometimes, which I've I need to get that information again because I can't remember the kind of stories. It's a game changer. It is a game changer. <laughs> I did that too. <laughs> I think that one thing that's true too, Alara, you – like since I've known you, I think sleep max like five hours We're a night. We're not sleepers. Like parents – you're not I big sleepers, like you know. And, and, <laughs> and I think that we give our genetics on to our kids oh, yeah. in some way too. Of course. Because I, I desperate – like if I could sleep 10 hours a night, 12 hours, like I, <laughs> I could easily do that. John is the lightest, worst – he like max five hours, five and a half hours – but I also, my brain won't stop. I, I oftentimes, especially as a kid, had to have like 
a story I'd already heard playing in the background to lull myself to sleep. And so absolutely we are we are our own best instruments for gauging what's going to work with our kids too. Oh, thank you. That's like such important information. There is obviously a distribution of sleep in the population and some people need 10 hours, I need 8 hours. And if you only need already don't sleep a lot, sleep has a super strong genetic component. There's people like me who just study uh, you know, families because there is, you know, they all sleep the same amount. So that's, if you are all on the lower end, then it, you know, then you, it's important to keep that in mind, you know, then if you're putting them down at 7 PM and they're on the lower end for a two-year-old, they're only going to maybe sleep eight, nine hours. And then they're up at two or three or four or 5 AM, you know, my, um, smaller one actually also is on the lower end and it's so frustrating because I, I want him to go to bed early so I can, you know, do something, right. but it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And then, you know, once you kind of accept that, okay, his bedtime is right now, you know, pandemic, everything is a bit shifted. He's going to bed at 10 PM and uh, wakes up at seven. That's not great, but at least there is no bedtime struggle. There is no waking up at night, nothing. It's just, it's just, you know, that's just what, what's happening. You said that you're not a good sleeper or you weren't a good sleeper. So talk to yeah, us a little bit about yeah. that. And then with your, with what you've learned, have you, have you incorporated different tricks to encourage more sleep? Cause I don't know if I'm somebody who just doesn't require a lot of sleep or I just don't get a lot of sleep because I'm, I'm, I just have so much on my plate and I'm just that kind of person that I have to like, just get up and do things. And maybe I'm not getting, I think I don't get enough sleep for myself and I should, I would probably feel better if I slept more. So, you know, for you who, who have said that you, you're not a great sleeper and you had, you didn't get enough sleep or don't get enough sleep now, are there certain things that you do for yourself? Yeah. So first of all, it's very hard to know, like, it's, it's, it's kind of a mystery. How much sleep do you actually need? Right. And, and, and it's hard to understand that. And the reason that it's hard to understand it also scientifically is that we actually don't know why we sleep. And that's why we don't have any, any measures, any markers, you know, sleep is still this really elusive thing. That's why I study it. I actually study in the lab, uh, trying to understand why we sleep. What is the basic function of it on a, on a physiological level? But behaviorally, the best measure to understand how much sleep you need is simply how you feel the next day. So if you, whatever, how much you sleep, if you all the time just feel super tired and wiped out and super sleepy during the day, that suggests that you didn't get, you're not getting enough sleep. And the easiest way to figure out how much you need is simply play around with the duration of sleep. So you know, if I get anywhere less than seven hours, I, I don't feel well. And I just feel, I don't know, almost achy somehow. And for other people that might be more and for other people that might be less, and it can be as little as four hours. I have a friend, he sleeps four hours at night, you know, happy as a, happy as a clam. So I would play around with that. But if you constantly feel tired during the day, then that suggests that you're not getting enough sleep. For me, I used to be a really bad sleeper, not in the sense that I didn't get enough sleep, but in the sense that I had a hard time falling asleep and staying asleep. Like I'm a worrier, I'm a little neurotic, you know, and I'm just like, I lay in bed and my eyes are open and I'm worrying about everything. And, and you know, I had also really erratic schedules as a student. I would stay up till like 5 a.m. and then like sleep in and it was just a total mess. And then when I started working in this lab, I understood all these things that I explained to you. 
regularity, all this boring stuff. You have to do everything at the exact same time every day, you know, the light aspects, all that stuff. And I fixed my own sleep in that sense, you know, by living, really? by living the freaking boring life, you know, like no more <laughs> student, nothing, you know, nothing anymore. I just get up every day at the same time, weekend or not. And I go to bed at the same time. And I'm really tired because my circadian rhythm is now so strong that, you know, come 11 p.m., I just like, I just fall asleep. And that's what you want, right? You just want like be sleepy and fall asleep. And then when I had kids, I just used all that same stuff and applied it to the kids. So talk to us a little bit about that, the the sleep method that you came up with. You actually, you have a whole app. It, it, how hey. do you pronounce it? Kulala? Yeah, Kulala. Kulala, Kulala means, would, Kulala sounds really cute, uh, and it's also sleep in Swahili. Um, wow. Yeah, so I, uh, I don't know, I just thought it's like an unusual word, and I wanted, I wanted something like that for my app. I like it. It is very soothing. I forget it's on onomatopoeia where it like sounds like what it is or whatever, but it, it's very, it definitely, you know, seems very soothing. And um, there are three main steps, I guess, in your, in your sleep method. Will you just, will you just, you know, break that down for us quickly? Yes. So... The first step is the light. And yes. we already talked about that. So exclude any light except red light from your baby's room and get blackout shades. For how long before bedtime? I would say half an hour. So we talked, we actually didn't talk about the bedtime routine. I would like use it for the portion of the bedtime routine that is in the baby's room. So if, for example, if you're nursing or reading a book or feeding the baby, I would do all that with the red light already. Okay. Okay. So maybe half an hour. Um, and then at night, if you have to change diapers, if you have to feed the baby, only red light. In the morning, if the baby or your toddler wakes up before the time you want to be getting up, keep it dark. You can play with them if, if, it ha if you have to in, their, in the room, only with red light. Because that morning light, if you open the shades and you're just like, oh, I'm going to start the day, it's only 6 a.m., that is not a one-off. That will instruct their body that this is the new wake-up time. So, um, you know, this is the first step. The second step um, is the correct schedule and uh, the naps. And that's where, for example, my app can help you with. It's literally everything I just explained to you, all the information from my book. <laughs> I put it into this app and it just creates these customized schedules for your children. Again, this is the average. So we talked about, you know, your kids can be on the lower end or on the higher end, but if especially the naps are too long and you have trouble with bedtime, uh, with bedtime or nighttime sleeping, adjust it according to the app and it should help. And then lastly, uh, I call it gentle sleep training. Now I'm thinking I shouldn't have have used the word sleep training at all because that's such a trigger for many moms. Um, and I already told you as well, it's the one and a half minute delay. That's just like such a tiny bit of time. And even a, a minute and a half is really hard when your baby is screaming their head off. I know that I was sitting myself at the edge of my bed with my watch and like, you know, waiting for the seconds to pass. It feels like somebody is stabbing you when your children are crying. I'm sure you, you know that. So mm -hmm. that's why I find it hard, the sleep training, the, the real sleep training, like crying it out, not because of the baby. Research actually shows it doesn't affect the baby because of the parents. You know, we, we can't deal with that. So that's the third step. Wait a minute and a half before soothing that teaches them uh, self-soothing and has been shown scientifically to lead to babies that sleep through the night sooner. So that's it. So what, interesting. Because because I think it's also the even you know one and a half minutes. What that also gives you is enough of a breath where it, it doesn't feel panicked. Like I think sometimes you know our initial instinct is to rush in. Your your child falls, you rush in. Your you know there's anything happens, you rush in. 
And if they weren't already scared or like frazzled or whatever, now they really are because you seem so out of sorts and and crazed by it. And I think that minute and a half, as painful as yeah. it is when you're sitting through it, is actually like enough time where you go in and you're not you're not the panicked response. You you are always present. You're always there to protect them. But it's not this like ah, I don't you know, save me, help me, something's wrong. Such a good um, point. Yeah. I want to ask one, you know, one personal question that I have, and I wonder if there, I'm sure there are parents out there listening who have this too. My, um, my two-year-old who has had periods of her life where she slept really well, including when she was a baby. Now her favorite thing to do is go into her room at like eight o'clock at night, fall asleep by nine, sleep until two, and then be awake (laughs) from two to five playing, talking, singing. She has, you know, like we've we've done everything. We've put things in her room to play with. We've taken everything out of her room to play with. Like it's blackout shades in there. There's no light coming in. in. There's like six sound machines going. No, no. She doesn't, you know, like if you, if I go in there with her, she's like, night, night, mommy, and pulls her blanket <laughs> up, like pretends she's going back to bed. And that's the craziest thing is she, so we have her little, because she was climbing, she's my most like, you know, monkey child, like climbing all over everything out of in and out of her crib. So we killed the crib. Now she's in a cute little toddler bed. There's also a king bed in her room, you know, puts herself to bed in the king bed. Sometimes puts herself, I mean, she, it's, it is the craziest thing. And it drives me bananas because the poor thing like is so fried. Then when I have to wake her up, like literally go in the room and shake her and wake her up at 8 a.m., because she's been up partying from you know two to five, so so you know, um, so I don't even know. I don't know why it's happening. I don't know what to do about it. She's so happy. Like obviously, if she was crying or anything, I'd go in. But she's so happy, just like talking and doing her thing. Um, and at first, I'd written it off as because I was told over a variety of different you know p- parenting experts and things, things that as kids get into new developmental stages, it's very exciting for them to learn how to talk. It's very exciting for them to learn how to walk and crawl and all these things. So when they hit these new milestones, they oftentimes disrupt their own sleep patterns because they're just like pumped to get up and do this thing that they just learned how to do. But I mean, it's a it's been a long time of her, you know, having her weekly and nightly ragers. <laughs> so I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> um. So I have one question for you, and you already told me you have blackout shades, so that's all really good. Uh, yes. What about the nap? Or no. So, so this was exactly my thinking was because yeah. she'd been taking these long like siesta, you know, three hour long naps in the afternoon. So I took that out entirely a month ago, hoping that I knew there was an adjustment period. I knew there'd be a t- period of time where she was so tired and cranky and mad and, and it would make her sleeping worse. And then eventually I'd hope that she would cross over and it would be so exhausting that she would actually go to bed on time. But now we've totally phased out the naps and she has completely full days. And even still, like she's wiped at 6 p.m. Now, it used to be that I could not put her down until like nine o'clock at night. Now she is absolutely comatose by six. We insist on going to bed early and then we'll still wake up in the middle of the night. So no nap at all anymore? No nap at all. And she's like two and a half. Two and a half. I see. Uh, and 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 like that was easy to just drop the nap because she was resisting it anyway. She was she was again awake for a long time before she went to sleep. When we put put her down for her naps, she would stay and play and talk and hang out, and then eventually fall asleep and then stay asleep till five o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, that's you know, not was, good. No. So there is two ways to do this. Either so six a.m. is six p.m. is too early at bedtime. That's why she she goes to bed at like two and a half. She, they don't sleep more than like 
11 hours, I'd say. So, you know, if you want to be getting up, I don't know, say it's eight, right? So then nine is, is a good bedtime. So six is just too early for that. But she can't, if she can't stay up then all day, then maybe reintroduce the nap unless that's mm. some problem, but really make sure it's not too late and it's not longer for sure than like an hour. It can even be just 45 minutes. And yeah, that's like hard oh. for them. They can be really cranky. So have some plan in mind to distract them when you wake them up and they're cranky, you know? It can be anything. Food is always a good, good thing or like some kind of toy. Anything, Highly motivating. Right? Yeah. So with babies, boob is great. Not, not doesn't, uh, you know, not, not in this case, but um, <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's, it's a hard age because it's transition age because uh, around three, they drop their naps. And so she's not quite ready to stay up till, till 9 PM. Right. But you don't want her to be awake for hours at night. So those are the things it has to be, she has okay. to go to bed a bit later. And if she can't, then I would introduce a short nap. I will try this. But that's Thank amazing so that she doesn't. And it's also true a little bit. You know, there's always these things that people think are really important for their sleep. Well, in this case, it, I have to a little bit agree. Uh, when you transition them, especially to a toddler bed, they suddenly have this freedom. Oh, my God, I can get out of my bed. And it's like it's like the most amazing thing ever, right? So that takes a while to uh, to settle down. But with these sleep things, that will reduce the, you know... Reduce the desire to do that. What about uh, room sharing? How do you how do you juggle multiple? Because like my daughter, I can go in and she's just like, I'm like, time to go to bed. She'll lay down. She'll ask a couple questions. No more talking. It's time to go to bed. And she'll go to bed. My boys, I think part of the problem is, number one, they're really little. And, um, and then the other thing is they all just share a room together. So they're all like bugging each other. And, and if I'm there, they're fighting over me. So it's like, it's... It's crazy. But what if... That's the two and three-year-old? Um, no, it's the two, three, and now five, recently five-year-old. They're all in the same mm -hmm. room, right? Yep. Yeah, so if you can put like a good sleeper and a bad sleeper together, that's better. And I would evict... I would not... It's hard to have two bad sleepers in the same room because they will... They just wake each right. other up, right? So if you can't... If you can't change that, then uh, a white noise machine can be we super We do that. Useful. We, we have four in that room. Oh, yeah? Four. Oh, wow. So many. Oh, hallelujah. So I literally have like six going at a time. It's <laughs> okay. insane. I'm not telling you anything new here. Yeah, that's crucial because it just drowns out all this yeah. noise, right? I mean, here in Manhattan, we have other issues like, you know, highway <laughs> and whatnot. But kids are also just, just loud and annoying. So white noise for sure, crank that up. And if you can, I mean, I would, I would, I would evict, I would take, I would separate the bad sleepers. Good sleeper and bad sleeper is great because the, the bad sleeper doesn't bother the good right. sleeper. But, but two bad sleepers, it's hard. It's just really hard. And if the white noise is not enough to drown out their like whatever sounds or they actually start like, you know, uh, you know, touching each other or something like that. Well, what just, about, what about what the connection? I mean, hard. I think that I am one of those mothers and I, I know many of those mothers that I, I co-slept with my kids for the first year of their lives where, and I breastfed them on demand and I was definitely their pacifier. And it wasn't anything that I ended up, I planned on doing. It was just, I was just so tired. And if you, I'm a stationary light sleeper and so is my husband. And so it felt safe. Um, you know, if I was a heavy sleeper that moved around a lot or my husband was, then we would not choose that. But I think that I'm definitely not setting them up right from the beginning. Um, and, and I think the, the fact of having so many children so close together, it's just like survive, you're in survival mode. 
Um, but, and my determination to, you know, to be somebody that I'm like, I will do it. And then they get to be, they get to be a little bit older and they want to, they still want that connection with you. And all of a sudden you're like, well, now you go in your room and you go to sleep. And they're like, wait a second, what happened to the boob and the co-sleeping? Because that was like really great. Um, That was such a great setup. Yeah, I mean, it was like, great. What's wrong with you? We were having such a good time together. Um, But so, I mean, I, I definitely... I think that one of the things that mothers struggle with is is that crying, is the upsetness. You know, when if if I decide that it's going to be a night where I am going to leave the room and I'm not going to tough it out, which means that they're going to end up falling asleep really late because they're having this really tough time of me being in the room. But if I leave the room, then they'll go to sleep. They'll scream for a little bit, then they go to sleep. But just to hear, mommy, you left me, mommy, you left me. And you just feel, I don't know, I mean, I talk about mom guilt. I just, I'm like, I'm like crying in the other room. But I mean, what in terms of the connection to self, teaching them to self-soothe, connection to another human being, whether that's mommy or daddy or two mommies or two daddies or, or, or nanny or whatever it is, but a connection or to each other, you know, the fact that my kids all share the same room, can they get the connection to each other? Um, how do you teach your child to feel safe at night and not be there holding on to them? Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, you know, with my daughter, it was also much better about never, ever being in the room when she fell asleep. And now with my son, he's like much more clingy somehow. And also just like really cute. And I just have a hard time like being, um, you know, the strict sleep scientist with him. So I often like stay in the room with him uh when he falls asleep however that's just like five minutes because i kind of calibrated the naps and the sleep time and the bedtime so that it's just five minutes it's just five minutes and not, and not like hours like before so i kind of you know it's like okay but you know this this kind of um feeling of mom of mom guilt and this feeling of of breaking that connection or betraying your children or abandoning your children or worrying that they feel abandoned that's really biological, and I have a whole chapter about that in my book because I wanted to understand what where that's coming from. Like if you if you talk about sleep with anybody who is not a parent, they're like, yeah, why don't you just like you know put them in their room and they will sleep and it's not a problem. Well, that's not how we think, and it's really because of the altered state that our brains are in. It's not, and and then this is you know semi permanent, and it's not just a few hormones. Like there is neuronal connection that have mom brain is real it's absolutely real you're you're spot on i have i think the chapters in my book is called mom brain mom amazing amazing mom mom brain and dad brain actually because even dads have changes their testosterone goes down and their serotonin goes up they become these like nesting cuddly bears you know isn't that crazy? So cool. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And, and for us, though, it's like really the auditory cortex, which is the part of our brain that processes hearing that's mm-hmm. on high alert since mm-hmm. we have children and actually attuned to our baby's cries, right? So it's not just like a little bit more noise sensitive. No, it's specifically more sensitive to our baby's crying, which is, you know, important for survival. But it really is makes it it makes all this this whole thing with crying almost unbear physically unbearable and that's what really people don't don't understand you know it's like it's not just like oh yeah it's annoying it's not just annoying it's it's almost physically un- we're almost incapable of not like a robot like a programmed mom bot right walking to our children child and, and helping them but i believe understanding that we're not actually harming them um, you know, the baby doesn't care and that you see that with a little bit older children how quickly they can turn off the crying right you know, if anything was actually wrong, 
then just going there and picking them up would not immediately, you know, stop the crying or with my toddler, you know, if her tantrum was actually an expression of, of you know, some kind of deep-seated abandonment issue, then she wouldn't immediately stop crying and even start laughing the second I give her a lollipop, right? So um, it's not, it's not, they're, they're going to be fine. I think it's important for us to be fine as well. And with the sleep training, what helps, for example, if that's available is a partner, um, you know, waiting for even a minute and a half, if you have to do that, like for a couple of hours at night is very hard with the crying baby. And that's where I, for example, use my, my husband and, you know, they sleep very well at night, but I let, I, I made him like, get up like go, go, you know, I can't go. And especially with young kids, you know, with, when, when you're nursing, they also expect the boob and husband doesn't have a boob. So baby knows that too. And they will accept that soothing from your partner. So, you know, tag teaming is, 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 is very powerful and in all stages of, of all that, you know, like you said, actually, they, they accept, they accept your husband and then they can go to bed. Easier, yeah, no, right? no. I mean, it's, it's, I'm like, I'm like, I work so hard and then you go in and you're like, go to sleep. And they're like, okay. Whereas I go in there and they're like, oh, now we're going to have fun and we're going to play yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's definitely – I mean, yeah. but I, I do think that a lot of it – that's what – one of my favorite things about this interview is is how you spoke from from birth because I think a lot of the situation that I've gotten myself into has been from birth right. um, on. Because, yeah, there is also – I want to – I just forgot. There was like another aspect to this. The reason it's so easy to to get – the younger the children, the easier it is to get them into a uh, easy, good sleep is because of they just they don't they don't have any memory like you described. Right. Once they're even six, seven, eight, nine months, they remember all the good mm -hmm. stuff. Right. They remember mommy's here. Mommy is my like, you know, is my little good night crutch. And, and, you know, the boob is just awesome. And why would I not, you know, and then you stop it and they're like, uh, no protest. Right. <laughs> and, and the other thing is it's not working. If you just don't do it every night, if you just do it a one off, that doesn't work. And a part of it is also the circadian rhythm because we really have to do things day over day over day to create this, this new habit and to instruct the body that that's how it's going to be now. If you just do it like, okay, I'm not going to do it tonight. Tonight you're sleeping over there and I'm not going to come in. Uh, and then tomorrow you do, you break down again. Then they just learn that, you know, they just need to cry a little harder and they just need to ask a little more and mom will show up again. Right. So yeah. it's, it's, consistency yeah. yeah no no and, and, and my kids told yeah. me my kids totally get it that there will be some nights mm -hmm. where i'm like all right i'm gonna go in there we're gonna fight it out we're gonna figure this out and then it like and it's always the baby that falls asleep late and i'm just like you know i actually want to invite you over to my house for bedtime and we can do it together and you can hold my hand <laughs> let's do <laughs> let's it first of all, and i kind of want i mean i've never i never ever ever do this but i kind of want your favorite thing to be what is this red light and where can we get it Oh, mm. so funny you would ask, because I actually um, started a company to develop, you know, lighting technologies that are safe for children and also for adults, because there is like Amazing. all kinds of things that can help you feel better with this kind of stuff. So we're developing a light just like that. And it's going to be awesome and made of wood and beautiful and not just like these, you know, these ugly plastic, plasticky thingies. And Thank you. And it hopefully will be, yeah. What's it going to be called? From Kulala? Yeah. Also? Yeah. Okay, oh, we're going to have to keep Keep focus on that. Thank you so very much. That Thank I learned, you very I much. I learned a lot. I hope your kids sleep better. Me too. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Mom!
Fresno. All right, guys, we'll see if the, the Baldwinitos have, if it's just some red light bulbs I need to throw into their room and all of a sudden they're going to be like, okay, mommy, I will go to sleep right now. Um, so you guys can uh, tell that I am going to be the first one ordering her product because, I mean, maybe this red light science is, maybe maybe there's something to it, Daphne. Wouldn't it be so cool? Like, wouldn't it be so great if if that actually does make, maybe that's the one variable you haven't controlled for yet and it's going to make all the difference. I'm really excited <laughs> about it. I'm curious if I like flood Nika's room with red light if it's going to keep her asleep. But I'm also going to try the tip of, you know, maybe reintroducing a one-hour nap. I was always told never wake a sleeping baby. Mm -hmm. Dr. Axelrod's take is very much like wake the sleeping baby to help them get the longer-term better sleep results, but, you know, have have food ready when they wake up, which proves she really knows my family very well, um, which I love. And I'm excited for her. I'm I'm really excited for her. I always love – I mean, we've had a couple people on the show recently who've really felt like they've taken the kind of unique struggles of their parenting and made cool businesses around them. And I think this Kulala, the, the lamp that she's coming out with sounds really cool and how nice to have something not plastic to put in the nursery that actually is maybe like a beautiful kind of aesthetic piece, an interior design piece that also happens to make for much better sleep hygiene. What I'm learning from all these conversations and from adopting Diego Manchego, our 10-month-old puppy, which yes. has been a really great experience for me in my parenting. Like I've been able to practice parenting because I had my dogs before I had kids. So I just like gave them all and I treated them like children. And then this dog, I've like really been focused on training and I've been very focused on his sleep training, much mm. more than many of my children. And if you stick to it, they do learn. Now we'll see if I can apply that to my human baby. Because with a dog right now, I'm so great. I'm so tough in, in like a very like motherly, like I love you and you are going to bed right now in your crate. And I got it nice and dark for him and he's got his like little bone and his little towel and he like curls up in there and he loves it. He loves it. So hopefully may I be as good of a mommy to this baby as I am to the other one too. <laughs> I love it. And you know what? That's, I mean, that's the, that's the core of this is like the research is, and we know this as parents, the better our kids sleep, the more well-rested they are, the more acclimated they are, the better they are to take on stress and everything else in their life. So Here's to more sleep for Diego Montego and for all of our children uh, and for us. <laughs> and now it's time for our favorite things. Now it's time for our favorite things. This week, I am going to highlight something. I know that straws have become something of a hot button item for people. I know that we try to avoid using, you know, uh, plastic that has to be thrown away right away. But paper straws that disintegrate into my mouth drive me absolutely bananas. And most of all, when I have smoothies, which is pretty much the only thing that I use a straw for, um, it, it's too small. It's too narrow to try to get it through like one of those paper straws. So I found these extra – actually, I should be fair. My grandmother found and I stole <laughs> and then had to rebuy for her. Extra wide reusable smoothie straws. They're made for like bubble tea and boba and things like that. So they're real, they're like you're probably like a dime size diameter. Um, but they are the perfect size for smoothies. And you literally just wash them with this little like bottle cleaner, essentially. Um, little, you know, the, the thing that comes with a bottle that like a little tiny tube sponge thing. And then you can use them over and over. And so you don't need to worry about the the disposable quality, but it's such a for me, it's one of those things where like my kids love them, they want them with their juice. And for me with my smoothies, I love them. So 
that's my favorite thing this week because it's made my summertime smoothies so much more enjoyable. Um, my favorite thing today is Palmer's cocoa butter. Mm. And I know that it's not, you know, I'm not telling you guys probably something that you haven't heard from your mothers and your grandmothers and stuff like that. But I am a fiend, a moisturizing fiend, and especially when I'm pregnant. And I, you know, I've, I've shared with you guys uh, some of my my favorite pregnancy lotions and creams and stuff like that and oils. But I have to say one of them that I've really used religiously and one that, you know, all the ladies in my family have always used is Palmer's cocoa butter. And I just ordered some more so it came to the house because I had run out. And you know what? It just works. I love the price point. I love that it's easy to find. And my kids think I smell like chocolate. And it's really great. And so far, so far, no no stretch marks. Um, I love that. And and I love, I have to say, that the smell of Coco's Palmer Butter takes me right back to high school. It was like all my friends and I used all of high school. So I'm oh, Everybody can smell it. like chocolate. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, leave us this five-star review. It helps us oh so much. And follow us everywhere at MomBrain and and email us, right, Daphne? Yeah. Email us, MomBrainPod at gmail.com. All right, we love you guys. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, guys. This is MomBrain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. MomBrain is a Gallery Media Group original production.